Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. Good morning, everyone. Good morning, everyone. Welcome. It's so glad to have people. It's so good to see your faces. Wow, people. We don't have to preach to empty chairs today. We're kind of excited about that. That was actually really good. Listening to Amber. That was very yeah. good. Listening to uh, that our was worship very team. Good. Live worship. Yes, yes much better. Awesome. God, I love it. Welcome, everybody, joining us on live stream as well. We're so glad that you joined us today. Let us know where you're uh, tuning in from. We'd love to know. The other thing I should mention is you don't need to reserve a spot in our sanctuary. We have lots of rooms. So next week, if you want to come to our services, just kind of show up. We'll go through some little screening things. And uh, it wasn't too bad today, was it, coming in? It was pretty straightforward. We moved Thank you, you through pretty quick. Thank you for your grace quick. and patience. Yeah, thanks for working with our teams. Oh, we're thrilled to be able to do that. All right. So we've been working on a series um, on deception, and um, today's kind of going to be part one of two, I think, on a topic we're going to call Check Yourself. And I want to start really in Matthew 22, verse 29. It says, Jesus replied, your mistake is you don't know the scriptures, and you don't know the power of God. And, you know, he's kind of addressing the Sadducees there because they just didn't understand marriage and, and heaven and how the angels were going to be and how eternity was. But the truth is there's a lot of people today in our world and they don't know the scriptures and they do not understand the power of God. And lack of knowledge and lack of knowledge of the word of God creates huge issues for people, especially when we're looking at this context of self-deception. And... There's something that we look at in the culture today, it's called moral relativism. And it's making a resurgence in our culture today, and we're actually seeing this more and more. Um, in simplest terms, in Christianity, we believe that God is the moral lawgiver. How many of you know this? God's the one that set the moral standard. He's the one that determines what righteousness is. He's the one that sets the limits that we live within. And, and what happens is when you get into moral relativism, they disagree with the statement that God is the moral lawgiver and there's only one law. Because what they say is, a moral relativist would say, I can determine what is relevant to my morality. In other words, I'm going to set my own moral standard. I'm going to set my own moral code. And we see people all over the place. And what happens is my moral code might be very different than my wife's moral code, which might be very different than your moral code. And that can create some conflict when we look at things, doesn't it? Especially if we're looking at what's, what's the correct thing to do or what's the right thing to do. Because your moral code might infringe on mine and oh. go, infringes on my right. Never would, my moral, never would my moral code infringe on yours, babe. So the situation cannot determine the ethic or the moral position. We have to have one standard that God sets and then we kind of live life under that umbrella. Now, within this, Self-deception is something that we're kind of talking about today. Now, self-deception, theologically, 
you know, some theologians will put it as the cause of all sin, and other theologians will put it as the result of all sin, and I think they're both correct in a lot of ways. just depends on how you want to, what angle you want to look at it, but too many times um, people have a distorted moral compass, and when you have a distorted moral compass, you convince yourself that wrong is right and right is wrong, and that creates huge problems for us. Now, remember, we were made to be image bearers. You know this. I've talked about this for ages now. We're supposed to be made in the image and the likeness of God, and we're supposed to reflect who He is to others. And what happens is when your moral compass gets distorted, what you will find is you start reflecting something other than God. And then you're not reflecting His image, you're reflecting a distorted image or, or, or a corrupted image of God. Or something else and completely different. Even in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, there's this claim to, you know, if anyone claims to be sinless, sin originates from within, and they're deceiving themselves. Because what happens is it's a great deception to think that you are without sin. That's what the Bible says. You're deceiving yourself if you think you've never missed the mark. If you think you've never sinned, you've missed the mark. But there's people to think that they've arrived and that their perspective is the only perspective. And, and oftentimes we deceive ourselves into thinking we know truth outside of the Word of God. And that's why it's so important for us. We get our revelation, we get our truth based on what the Scriptures teach us. That's why we always want to look to what the Word of God says. We want to look to the Bible to determine our standard. I'll come back to that in a little bit. I'm going to let my wife talk to you now. I'm going to start in Romans chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, and I'm going to read it out of the Passion Translation. If you have your, your Bible on your phone in your version app, you have the Passion Translation. I'm not sure if they're able to get that up on the screen for us. If not, it'll be in New Living Translation up on the screen. So it says, Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. I'm going to read the whole scripture, and then I'm going to go back to certain points. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. God has given me grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image of your importance. Instead, honestly assess your worth by using your God-given faith as the standard of measurement, and then you will see if your true value is an appropriate self-esteem. So I want to go back up, and it says, um, stop imitating the ideals, opinions, and the culture around you. Be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit, through a reformation of how you think. So how many would agree that if God is addressing how you think before you become a Christian, how many would say that that thinking is wrong? And that he's saying to you, we need a total reformation or transformation of your thinking when you come to Christ. Because before Christ, you're not thinking as you should be. But when you come to Christ, he is saying there needs to be an inward, not 
just outward and inward because the inward affects the outward transformation of how you think okay so how many agree like the world is completely opposite in their ideals their cultures and opinions towards what God thinks it's an anti-christ opinion it's a, a completely opposite to what God thinks so our thinking when we come to Christ needs to be realigned reset so inwardly as he transforms the way we think and we have to allow in matter of fact in the new living translation it says that you allow and let that thinking renew your mind by changing the way you think you have to allow God to do that so in our thinking when we are naturally as a natural byproduct this just happens automatically as part of allowing God to transform the way you think, to give your mind a reset and align it with how he thinks as naturally, by consequence, what will happen in your mind is that you will not have confusion. There will be peace. There will be clarity of thought, soundness of mind, and you're able to think and see how God is seeing. And then it says in that scripture, if we continue reading down, it says, this will, this new way of thinking empowers you to discern God's will. And then what will happen? You will live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. So naturally, when we're thinking the way God asks us to think, in naturally, when we're being led by how the Holy Spirit is leading us, naturally present, along with soundness of mind, clarity of thought, peace that comes to your mind, a natural, holy conviction is present when there is no peace, when it's not aligned with God's word. A conviction in your spirit will be present, and it will convict you immediately to say, that doesn't, that doesn't fit right. I don't have peace. I discern by the allowing of the Holy Spirit to transform my mind that this does not align with God's will. Amen? So if we are allowing God to lead in our lives and lead the Holy Spirit in our lives, Paul also warns us very strongly in this scripture. He says, God has given me a grace to speak a warning about pride. I would ask each of you to be emptied of self-promotion and not create a false image or importance of yourself. Instead, honestly assess, honestly self-evaluate your worth, and you'll have an appropriate self-esteem. So when, how many know that the Bible admonishes us, okay? So pride will lead you into deception. That deception will lead you into destruction. And a lot of people like to quote this scripture uh, wrong, I might add, out of the Bible. They say, you know, pride goes before a fall, but we know that it's pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit goes before a fall because that's what the word of God admonishes us to do and warns us when we talk about when we let our pride go before us. It will lead us into destruction when we are thinking that we're above something. And it says here, that we will also have a satisfying and pleasing life. In whose eyes? Our eyes? Or is it God's eyes? 
So if we're looking and we're discerning God's will, not our will, we're discerning God's will because we've given up our life to him. If we're discerning God's will for our life, then it's his plan, his eyes that he's looking on and we're discerning what he's saying, not our perspective and what we're seeing. So we're not discerning through our own eyes because how many know what we see is not the full picture? What God sees is the full picture. So we're discerning what he is seeing as we daily allow. So we bind our mind to the mind of Christ. We allow that transformation daily to happen in our life. So our thoughts and our opinions and our ideals, we need to align our lifestyle to the scripture, not to what the world says. So we need to properly self-evaluate, honestly, do I hold the ideals, the thoughts, and the opinions of the world more highly in my life than I do what God says? Do I ask myself when I'm making decisions, and this is a big one too, what are other people going to think? Fear is a huge, powerful motivator in affecting our choices. And if we allow fear and our, all the other emotions that we can feel to frame our moral compass and the way that we determine what's right and wrong and what's good and evil based on what we experience. And we just talked about, Pastor RJ said, our experience. My experience isn't his experience. So what he experiences might not be his and that's not right for him, but it might be right for me. And so everybody's moral compass will not, it will be different. But what if mine infringes on your right? Well, and yours infringes on mine. How will we rightly divide truth and justice if we are not holding the standard to the word of God? Not the standard, the baseline being, well, that's my experience. That's how I'm judging it. We cannot be led by how we feel and what our experiences are telling us. And you know, fear is, Joyce, have everybody watched Joyce Myers? She always gives this acronym, fear is false evidence appearing real. And that, is, that is, speaks a lot of truth in our lives. And a lot of that, when we are doing that, you know, in two words, that's peer pressure. What are people going to think? Instead of asking ourselves, what does God think? And am I thinking that way? Because I'm supposed to be allowing God to transform the way that I think. Aligning the way I think with his word. I want to read Psalm 23, 4. And it's, again, out of the Passion Translation. I love, I'm getting right into that translation. I really love it. It's like a contemporary amplified version. If any of you have ever read it or you haven't read it, it's really, really good. So it's an amplified, amplified version? Yes, it's really good. But it's a really nice read. <laughs> so Psalm 23, 4 says, Lord, even when your path takes me through the valley of the deepest darkness, fear will never conquer me. For you already have. You remain close to me and lead me through it all the way. Your authority is my strength and my peace. The comfort of your love takes away my fear. I'll never be lonely, for you are near. Psalm 34, 4, also in the Passion Translation, says, Listen to my testimony. So this author is saying, Listen, 
I have a testimony here. I cried to God in my distress and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. So when we're afraid, we shouldn't be making that decision based on our fear in that moment. Because wisdom dictates that we make the decision based on what will make us happy tomorrow when we look back. We always make choices today that when we look back, we'll be happy with when we. So that when we're fearful, Psalm 34, 4 says, I cried out to God in my distress, and he answered me, and he freed me from my fears. So when we're afraid, the first thing that we need to be doing is crying out to God so that he can help us to make the right decision and free us from our fears. Because then we fall into, again, like I said, your personal truth is what will become your moral compass and it will be your ideal that you use and your experience that you use to make the decisions about well, what's right for me, what's wrong for me. And it's all self-centered. It's all about me. It's all about what I want. And what is this world consumed with right now? Me, myself, and I. What's good for me? Look out for me. You got to do what's right for you. But that's not God's thinking. God's thinking is others serving. Are we serving others? And if that's our experience. But our experience is very powerful, especially when it's a negative experience that keeps happening over and over again. And for a lot of us, that happens um, certain trauma and experiences or abuse that happen over and over again in our childhood. And that experience layers and layers and layers, and it gets rooted down deep inside. And you take that experience and you bring it into your adulthood and, it's, and you take it with you and it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy because you've already prophesied the next experience is going to be bad based on my past experience. So you don't open, it's like I tell my children, eat, try this, try this new food, eat it, take a taste. No, 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 it's awful, it's awful, it doesn't look good, it looks, I don't like it, I don't want to try it. I'm like, how do you know you're not going to like it? You don't know, you have to taste it and see. And I'm like, and you can't decide you hate it already because when you taste it, you're just going to not like it anyway. You've already said, I'm not going to like it, that's it. Do you remember that? I had a mushroom in Tafaro's, <laughs> Tafaro's mouth, and she was chewing it, going, this isn't bad. And then her sister was like, you're eating a mushroom. <laughs> and she freaked out. <laughs> so funny. It was. It was really funny. However, but we, we do that to ourselves. We take those experiences with us into adulthood. But, and, but it works the same way when it's a good experience as well. And I'm going to go into that a little bit. But I want to uh, bring that into the Word. I want to read 2 Corinthians 10, uh, 2 to 6, again in the Passion Translation, because I just love it. For although we live in the natural realm, we don't wage a military campaign employing human weapons, using manipulation to achieve our aims. Instead, our spiritual weapons are energized with divine divine power to effectively dismantle the defenses behind which people hide. How many, all of us here, have defenses, natural things that we hide behind to protect ourselves? I got a pulpit. (laughs) 
Don't hide that lovely shirt. That my wife bought me. So we all have them. We all have those walls that we build up sometimes to protect ourselves, those defenses that we have, that we build up naturally, that we all hide behind. But we have divine power to effectively dismantle those defenses behind what people hide. Now I plead with you that when I come, don't force me to take a hard line with you, which I'm willing to do by daring to confront those who mistakenly believe that we are living by standards of this world, not by the Spirit's wisdom and power. We can demolish every deceptive fantasy that opposes God and breaks through every arrogant attitude that is raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. We capture, like prisoners of war, every thought and insist it bow in obedience to the Anointed One. Since we are armed with such dynamic weaponry, we stand ready to punish any trace of rebellion as soon as you choose to complete obedience. So, we see here that what is the standard as a Christian? As a Christian, that standard should be the cross of Jesus Christ. So, we are doing a self-evaluation like we were encouraged to do. So, are we taking that self-evaluation and going and holding it up to the standard that Christ gives us and taking it and like a prisoner of war, every thought and insist it bows in obedience to the anointed one? to the cross of Jesus Christ. So that standard of measurement that we're putting and holding our thinking against is the cross of Christ. And we have to bring it, we have to bring it there. You have to choose to bring it there. Take it into captivity and bring it there. Because you're armed with this weaponry to bring it into the obedience of Christ. So if we look at our society, and I said that we have our rights, we want our rights. We're all consumed about me, myself, and I. So where does this lead to for us as, as a society, as a world that we live in, if our morality of right and wrong, good and evil, is solely based on what we experience as individuals? And you know what that looks like, if I can give you a picture, is that each and every person has their own personal coffee. Co coffee. My, some of you might have coffee. I have tea. Anyway, copy of... The Ten Commandments in your back pocket and you've got your own personal exemptions and amendments to each one. And your clause is all built in there for your, your own. And so you can say to yourself, well, you shall not kill. Except I have some clauses and exemptions that are right for me in my back pocket that I need to refer to. You should not steal. Except I have some exemptions. I have to pull them out. I'm allowed to if. You shall not commit adultery. Oh, except I'm going to have my exemptions. I have my clauses that exempt me from this, my conditions. You need to honor your father and your mother, except what if past experience has taught you? No. What did they ever do for me? Except, but the word of God, the Ten Commandments, absolute truth at the cross it's not conditional as a matter of fact it's unconditional god's love for us 
and what he tells us to do. There's no exceptions when we're holding those things up to the one absolute standard at the cross of Christ. I'm going to jump to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10, and continue right where you left off. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin or worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. We see that the word of God is the standard for morality and we've been talking about how you have to renew your mind to the truth from the word of God. Actually recalibrate, you have to reset your mind to truth from God's word. And what happens is your moral compass can get off and you have to reset it you know, when you get into a vehicle, you have to calibrate the compass at the beginning. And it's important that you recalibrate your mind to the truth from God's word. And, you know, here's a conversation I'll have with someone. Hey, uh, what do you think the Bible has to say about adultery? Well, Pastor RJ, you got to understand. My husband and I, we're separated right now, and, and he's already moved on. But what does the Bible have to say about adultery? Were you released from the covenant that you're in? Well, the paperwork's with the courts, but it's going to be a little while before we get everything sorted out. Have you been loosed from the covenant? No. Then why are you moving on to another relationship? It's still sin. And see, moral relativism... We reset God's law to fit our situation. With drug and alcohol and sex addiction, what happens? People tell me all the time, oh, I'm in control. I can stop anytime I want. Well, you're deceiving yourself. You're fooling yourself into believing a lie. And you recreate the moral standards so that it makes you comfortable and you can continue living as you want to live. You know, a really good example of this in the Bible would be Absalom. And I'll read Isaiah 44:20 because in the Amplified, this is how Absalom operated, I feel, that that kind of man, the idolater, feeds on ashes and is satisfied with ashes. A deceived mind has led him astray. Notice that. It's the deceived mind that leads you away. So that he cannot save himself or ask, is this thing that I'm holding in my right hand not a lie? They can't even tell the truth if they, when they see it. Absalom is a great example of how injustice, pay attention now, can lead to moral altered reasoning. If you haven't read his story, his half-brother Amnon raped his full sister. Okay, so Amnon raped Absalom's sister. Tamar. Tamar. And David, who was both of their fathers, um, didn't deal with it. But he couldn't successfully deal with sexual sin because he was always looking in the mirror with his own affair that he had with Bathsheba when he had her husband killed. And it's unfortunate because, because of the injustice, because David didn't settle the account. You see where Absalom took the law into his own hands and went all vigilante and murdered his brother. Okay, so... One injustice doesn't call us to go to another injustice. You've all heard it. Two, Two wrongs. wrongs. Don't make it right. We tell our children that all the time. Wrong plus wrong does not equal good. 
But we overcome evil with good. But in justice, it formed the wrong moral compass with an Absalom. So he left the country, then his father invited him back, but still no justice came forth. So now he's offended at the lack of justice. So what did he do? He started going around to the people saying, you know, the king is unjust. If I was the king, I would make sure that your case would receive justice. And he eventually rebelled. And he tried to take the throne away from David, his father, who was the rightful king with all of his flaws. <laughs> and, and what people fail to understand is Absalom, because he started resetting his moral compass to determine what he thought was right instead of what was right. And he got some counsel from Bathsheba's grandfather to kill David and sleep with all of David's concubines, which he did. Well, he slept with all the concubines. He didn't get around to killing David because somebody else's counsel confused it. So David, and then David had a problem because he had all these men that were loyal to him that went and fought, and they killed 20,000 of Absalom's soldiers. And uh, Absalom was trying to run away, and he got his hair caught up in a tree because he had some really nice hair. Apparently, he was a nice-looking guy. <laughs> Move over Thor. <laughs> Nobody can replace you. I, I cautioned Pastor Especially Michael, though. <laughs> I cautioned Pastor Michael, though. I said, you got to be careful with your hair when you're rebelling against the king, because when you try to run away, your hair will be your downfall. Because he got stuck in a tree by his hair, and then Joab came and killed him with his armor bearers. And then David, the king, is weeping for the rebel. <laughs> and the men that saved his life were like, um, what about us? So Joab rebuked him privately. And uh, anyways, that's a messy story. But see, Absalom deceived himself into thinking that he should be king now, that he could do a better job doling out justice. And the truth is, the Bible tells us that God will give to everyone what they deserve. And sometimes when we see injustice or we, we, we never come to the conclusion that justice delayed is not justice denied. You know, we have to understand that God's going to sort it out and he's going to get everyone what they deserve. And, and people don't like to hear that because they don't want to take responsibility for their actions. But when we, when we look at this story, it's a sad story, but it starts with deception, self-deception, and it leads to all kinds of wrong moral decisions based on not resetting your moral compass to truth from God's word. So it's really important that we understand when we see injustice, an unjust response does not validate. You can't, you can't have an unjust response to injustice. You can't be a vigilante. We can't go bring justice into our own hands. We have to entrust that to the authority that God has established. And when we go outside of that authority, we create problems for ourselves. Do we understand this? Are, are, we, are we catching how, how God works here? See, even though David was wrong in not bringing justice to that situation, Absalom's approach to trying to solve it, he created more wrong and did more harm to the people in the nation as a whole. And we see these things happening today where there's injustice in the land, and that's horrible, and we need to really call the people accountable that are operating in injustice. But the truth is, when we go into a violent or a vigilante response on the other side, that's not a healthy response either. Okay. We have to make sure that we're under God and His authority. Anyway, we're going to continue this message, I think. Do you want to go through the experiences? 
Go ahead. We'll go five minutes. I have permission. <laughs> we have to kind of keep timelines within a certain thing sometimes, but we will um, we'll be okay for this service. And uh, we'll pick this message up again in about two weeks. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I'm just going to briefly talk about, I'm going to share with you a couple experiences or a couple stories. And remember how I said our experiences... We take them with us into our relationships, new, old, good, bad. And so um, coming into Christianity, um, we often take those experiences and that perception and bring them into our relationship with our Heavenly Father. So I'm just going to share with you a positive and a negative experience that, you know, I had to work, walk through with God and work through with Him. So I'm going to, so growing up, um, as a little girl, so we had, my, the one thing that my dad did that was very positive, that was an excellent example that he did, was he was a very hard worker. He was a good provider. We weren't rich or anything in any way, but there was always a roof over my head. There was food on the table. So he was really effective at providing my physical needs and what we needed and that he took care of us. Um, so when I became, growing up, when I became a Christian, and when I learned about how God will take care of me and he provides for all my needs physically, and I learned about tithing, it was very easy for me to take that experience and translate that into, well, yeah, make tithing makes sense then. I give God my 10% and he provides for all my needs because of the experiences that I built upon before that helped me to make that decision to determine, yep, that makes sense. God will provide all of my needs. Tithing makes absolute sense. So I tithe, and God meets my needs. And he did that. And he met all of my physical needs. So I took that, and I was able to relate to God doing that. But so now where the negative happens is throughout my childhood, my father was not there for me at all to meet my emotional needs in any way. And could, to characterize that, it was more like, if I could use one word, it was be... I felt like I was invisible. Unless it was to meet a need that he had or benefit him in some way, there was no way he even knew I was around. So when I take that experience as a child and translate that to ha trying to have a relationship with God as my Heavenly Father, that doesn't translate really well. Because my experience with my Father is I'm invisible. You don't meet my emotional needs. You're not going to heal me. You're not going to protect me because my dad didn't protect me. You're not going to defend me. I got to leave that up to me and I need to protect me. So I determined that nobody else was going to take advantage of me and no man was going to be in charge of my life and I was misindependent. That was an experience that I took and translated. So God and I had to do some work. But I had to decide, am I going to take my experience and hold it up to my standard and make my experience, my ideals, what I felt was right and wrong? Was I going to hold that up to that was my standard or was I going to go to the Word of God and look into the Word of God and determine that, okay, God, you got to help me here. This is a battle. This is a struggle. I don't believe right now that you will take care of me. I don't believe right now that you will defend me. But Lord, if you're willing, if you're going to help me, 
I submit these thoughts in obedience to you, and I choose to believe. Help me in my unbelief, Lord, that you will take care of me, that you will heal my broken heart, that you will change the way that I think, that you will and you are my Father and you love me unconditionally and you accept me and I am not rejected. I don't have to feel ashamed and that you are proud of me and I'm pleasing and that you see me with your eyes, that I'm not invisible to you. God is the one that does those things when we are willing to bring to him that experience that doesn't line up with what his word says. Because we have so many experiences in our life that are good that line up with what the word says. And that's what we want. And we bring them to the cross. But we have to take those experiences that don't line up with the word and we bring them there. And we give them to God. And we ask him to take care of them. So... Your phone is always listening, and it knows your voice. It turned on on the chair and started talking. Oh. <laughs> I think we're going to do a couple of things right now. Number one, um, we're going to receive tithes and offerings, but it's going to look a little different. <laughs> so when you leave today, there'll be an usher at that door, <laughs> in that door. Uh, I think at that door, um, with a bucket, and you can place your tithes in there if you're not already giving online or through the app or through eTransfer. Um, that said, uh, you know, we thank all of you for your faithfulness in this area of tithes and offerings, uh, especially through everything that's going on. And uh, God meets all of our needs, and we're in faith that he's going to continue to meet all of our needs. And then next week is uh, Father's Day, and we take up a special offering every Father's Day. We call it our Abba offering, and we want to give our best to God. And I've been asking our congregation, which is all of you and all of you watching us that are listening, pray and ask the Holy Spirit if you'd like to be involved in this free will offering. So we don't want to pressure people to give, but we'd like everyone to get involved and take a part and a role and give God your best gift. And we know that God gets involved with our finances. We know that he rebukes the devourer. We know that he makes a way for us. He makes provision for us, that there's a hedge up on every side. And we know that he's going to multiply our seed when we sow in faith. And uh, we're believing God with you that he will continue to give seed to the sower. So I'm going to pray over the offering, and then we're going to go right into communion. So Father, I thank you that as we are receiving tithes and giving offerings, Lord, I thank you that you are faithful to us in the area of finance. Lord, that debts are paid, bills are eliminated, that supernaturally, Lord, the hedge is up around your people and that they get promotions in the midst of times of attrition. And I thank you, Lord, that you show them the way to go so that they can be in the right place at the right time, doing exactly what you've called them to do. And Lord, as we go into the celebration of our covenant meal with you, I thank you for the bread in our hands that represents your body that was broken for us. And Lord, right now, as a culture, we repent for the injustice in the land and injustice in our lives. And we ask you to help us to align ourselves to truth from your word. Father, that it would always be the most important thing in our life, what you think and your standard to govern our behavior and our actions and our attitudes. So Lord, let the light shine into the dark areas of our life from your word and bring freedom. We ask this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, as we prepare to receive the cup, 
Lord, I pray that you would minister personally to each and every heart here. And that, that personal conviction that you bring as we are honest in the evaluation and the assessment of our own heart, Lord. That we would actually ask ourselves, do we hold the ideals and the opinions in the culture of this world higher than you, Lord? And if that is the case, Lord God, I thank you that we would humble ourselves. That we would fall on our face before you at the cross of Christ. And that we repent. And that, Lord Jesus, that we are to call sin, sin in our life. And I thank you that you are faithful to root that and take that out of our life as we submit those things to you. We thank you, Lord, that you are transforming the way that we think as we submit our mind to you. That you're causing us to be able to have that discernment in our life to know the way of the Lord and that we should walk there in it. I thank you, Lord, that we have your eyes to see and that the new way that you are making, behold, we can see it. Give us eyes to see, Lord God. Give us a heart tender towards you, Holy Spirit, that when you tell us, Lord, and when you convict us, we obey. And behold your standard, your cross, Jesus above anything else. And all things in our life are held to that standard in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to stand with us at this time, and these you can just deposit in the garbage cans. They can't collect them right now, but there's garbage cans on your way out. Philippians 1.6, and I'm certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his, heart, his work until it's finally finished, for some of us he works really hard, on the day when Christ Jesus returns. Father, I thank you that as we go, that you're faithful to complete the work that you've begun inside of us, and you're going to continue until the day that Jesus comes to transform us and renew our minds to truth. As we go in peace, let your grace be upon us, and I bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for coming in today. We're so glad you thank came you and spent some time with us. Thank you for joining us today. We'll look forward to seeing you guys next time.